Welcome to the Bethesda Christian Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit yourbcc.org or download our mobile app from the App Store. Hey, good morning. I'm not looking all James Bond for you this morning, but uh, hey, I'm here and in the house of the Lord and glad to be here this morning. Uh, We were reminded, it's October 31st, and for me, this, this marks an anniversary, and I'll say this, it is an inauspicious anniversary. Uh, 13 years ago today, I should have went fishing, but I didn't. And that's really not the point of what I want to share. Uh, so that's a whole, that's a different story. But uh, I'll share a bit of what I know some of you have already heard, but also get to a few details I've just never shared about this particular anniversary, which I say again is inauspicious because it was a bit of a traumatic event in my life. October 31st, this would have been uh, 2008, was beautiful, 75-ish, thereabouts, sun shining, didn't go fishing, turned that down, and Julie and I went to Dodge Park on our tandem bicycle, and we're having a great ride until I heard her say, Pat, why don't we slow down, and then I wiped out, and the bike went down, and I broke my hip. Julie, thankfully, wasn't uh, hurt very bad. I got back on that bicycle. It was a tandem. So she did most of the work while we pedaled back, and uh, my leg hurt. But I went to urgent care, had an x-ray. The doctor said, hey, I think you've got a hairline fracture. Maybe you should get a second opinion. But what I heard was this, hairline fracture. All right, it's nothing. So, for two weeks, two weeks, I walked on that broken hip, and ultimately, after two weeks, I went to hospital, had an x-ray, and I will never forget sitting in the room where this technician said to me these words, sir, you have a serious hip fracture, (laughs) Like, what? I thought it was a hairline. No, it was a serious hip fracture. I said, what do you think they're going to do? She said, oh, total hip replacement. I was like, oh. At any rate, I met a surgeon. He said, no, I can bolt you back together. So I had surgery the following day. Four big screws installed in my hip to put it back together. And after which I was told, no weight on that. No weight on that leg for six weeks. I had a little bit of in-home physical therapy during that time, just some basic exercises. But after the six weeks, I was allowed to put my weight on that leg, and it was not very strong. Muscles, I had atrophied, so I began this outpatient physical therapy. I went to see this therapist, pretty close here to the church, very nice man, and I don't know, it was my second or third visit. And I remember he asked me a question. I walked in and he said, 
Do you want to walk with a limp? And I, I didn't know what to say. I didn't say anything. For two weeks, I had walked on that broken hip limping really bad, totally denying it. I denied it for two weeks. And now I thought, I was walking really good. And he said, do you want to walk with a limp? I said nothing. Then he said, you're walking with a limp. And if you don't do what I ask you to do, you will always walk with a limp. I think what had happened is I had just resigned myself to walking like that. I'd conceded to it. That was it. That was as good as it was going to be. But he asked me again, do you want to walk with a limp? And I said, no, I don't. Then this happened, and I'll not forget it. It wasn't so much what this man said to me, but the way that he looked at me, very intently, eye to eye. And he said, I don't want you to walk with a limp. And I knew, I knew right then, if I wanted to be well, if I wanted to walk straight, I needed to do what this therapist had asked me to do. I had denied the problem. I denied it when it was most pronounced. For, for two weeks, I denied it to those who were closest to me. I denied it to the one who loves me the most, the person who, who loves me, my dear wife, Julie, who told me over and over, you're limping, you're what? I had walked in that denial. Then weeks later, when the problem was still there, although not as bad, I had just resigned myself to living with it. And sometimes that's the case. Be it a minor issue, be it a major issue. Be it an irritation or a deep, penetrating, painful problem, a deep hurt. And if you're here this morning and you're living with an issue, some kind of issue, maybe it's minor, or maybe it's deeper, maybe it's major, something that's causing you to be unwell, whether it's just a frustration or an annoyance of a minor kind or it's a crushing, crushing brokenness. And maybe you've just acquiesced to it. And you're resigned to, well, that's the way it is. And you're just going to live with it. You just can't seem to fathom a solution. May the word of God speak to you this morning. May the word of God penetrate you and speak to you this morning. We're going to be in John's Gospel, chapter 5. The first 15 verses, you, you can put your finger there, get out your electronic device, mark it. Before I get there, just a bit of background. background. Jesus, in John chapter 5, is just outside of Jerusalem. But before he got to Jerusalem, John chapter 4, 
Jesus was moving throughout the region of Galilee and Samaria. These are regions north, well north of Jerusalem. As Jesus traveled through these regions, he defied the norms of Judaism. At the top of John 4, we read about Jesus addressing a Samaritan woman. That Jesus would just address a woman. He was all alone, him and her. That defied the norm of the culture. That broke one convention. That she was a Samaritan? Well, that broke an altogether different norm and convention, a norm of the religion, a norm of the culture. The woman herself was surprised that Jesus would even speak to her. She could tell he was a Jew, I'm sure from his voice, his accent. And John even wrote in John 4, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. But Jesus did. And why? He did so to show her this, that she could receive eternal life. And she did. She did. She became convinced of the divinity of Jesus. Jesus moved from that city in Samaria. He went on to a city called Cana. Cana in Galilee. John notes where Jesus had turned water into wine. He was known in that city. His reputation preceded him because he had done this great miracle there. In Cana, we read in John 4, a certain royal official came to see Jesus. Who was this royal official? Was he part of the Roman occupation? Not likely, not really the Roman city where they'd be. More likely was he was a, an official of Herod Antipas, also called Herod the Tetrarch. And that's the Herod who imprisoned John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin. That's the Herod who would ultimately execute John the Baptist. Did Jesus turn away from this wicked king's official? No. This official came to Jesus pleading for the life of his son. Would you heal my son? Jesus did not turn him away. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. And the son did live. That's the close of John chapter four. The official learned that at the precise moment Jesus said, your son will live, the report was his son was restored to health. And John recorded how Jesus made no barrier of race, gender, station in life, whether a person was marked as a sinner or prejudged by the religion of the day or the culture, it didn't make a difference to him. He wanted to share eternal life. He offered compassion and grace and mercy. And this is what precedes John chapter five. Now let's open to John chapter five. We're going to read verses 1 through 15. Reads this way. Sometime later, after he had been traveling in these regions to the north, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And when you read the New Testament, up is south, 
Down is north. It's opposite to our maps. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed, and they waited for the moving of the waters. From time to time, an angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters. The first one into the pool after each such disturbance would be cured of whatever disease they had. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. This is an interesting event, an interesting event in the life and the ministry of Jesus. Outside the walls of the city of Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, as it was called, there was a pool, a little body of water. We might call it a pond. It was interesting that it was near this place called the Sheep Gate. The Sheep Gate was in the northeast corner of the walled city of Jerusalem. It was near the temple. And it said that through that sheep gate came through all of the sacrifices for the temple, the sheep and the lambs. And near this gate stood the Lamb of God, Jesus. Jesus who would be the final sacrifice. Jesus was at a pool called Bethesda. When we see a word in the Bible that begins with this prefix Beth. It's a hint to us. It's a hint to us that this word might have something to do with a house. That prefix Beth means house. Bethlehem, house of bread. Bethel, house of God. Bethesda, house of mercy. House of mercy. At this house of mercy where Jesus stood, there was from time to time we read a supernatural event. The water would begin to move. The water would begin to get stirred up. And the first one who was 
able to make it to the water, they were healed of their condition. And so it was that there was a great multitude of people. We read a great number of sick people were there. And they took shelter in these surrounding, what are called colonnades, five of them. So we might picture a pentagon surrounding the pool with these, with these rows of columns. A colonnade is rows of columns or pillars that are covered. They had roofs over them. And we might call it a porch. We might call it a pavilion. So picture a pentagon of pavilions or porches surrounding this pool called the House of Mercy. And under all of those roofs of those pavilions, disabled people, hurting people. And Jesus arrived and he saw one. And he came to know he'd been disabled for a very long time. We read 38 years. And Jesus questioned him. Do you want to get well? Now, are we surprised by the man's answer? If it were you, 38 years, lame, unable to walk, and you heard this question, do you want to get well? How would you answer? Would it be yes? Wouldn't it be yes? Yes, I want to be well. But that's not what the man said. Now, I know it's a very distant and it's a very weak comparison. But I think I sort of did the same thing. Do you want to walk with a limp? I couldn't even answer. I had conceded to this, that this was the way it was going to be. And it seems perhaps this lame man had conceded to his issue, resigned to it, accepted. There just was no solution for him. Instead of answering in the affirmative, instead of answering yes, he told Jesus, ah, I've just got no one to help me. Someone always gets to the water before me. Can you see the man? Can you picture him in your mind's eye? Dejected, full of disappointment. He does not want to say it out loud. Yes, I want to be well. Maybe it's in his mind. Maybe it's there. He just can't say it. He can't say, I want to be made whole again. Instead, it's of no use. I have no help. I'll never be the first one in the water. Jesus said nothing to the man but this. Get up. Pick up your mat and walk. And after 38 years of not walking, the man rose up and walked. No atrophy to worry about. He didn't need outpatient PT. Uh-uh. He picked up his mat and he started to walk. A true 100% miracle from the man of mercy. 
And this formerly lame man, he walked away. Now we read it was the Sabbath day. It was a holy day of obligation for the Jews. And the man was called out. He was called out for carrying his little bedroll. And he, he couldn't point to Jesus when he was asked, who did this? Who helped you? Who told you to carry your mat? He turned and because there was such a crowd, we read at the top of John 5, it was a festival time in Jerusalem. Lots of people coming. There was a crowd coming into this sheep gate near the temple. And Jesus was lost in the crowd. And so it was that later, Jesus reconnected with the man in the temple. And I love that the man's first response was to go to the temple. I don't know what he said or what he did, but I'm guessing he went to honor God for his healing. And Jesus meets him there in the temple, and he said these words, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Now, was Jesus threatening this man? Was he threatening him with another ailment, something that was going to be worse than what he had already experienced? He had already gone through being unable to walk for 38 years. Seriously, what could be worse? What could be worse? The man could miss out on eternal life. Now, that would be a worse fate than not walking for 38 years. We see in John chapter 4 that led into this, this incident in Jerusalem. We see the priority of Jesus, and the priority is eternal life. With the woman at the well, he stressed that through him, she could have a well within her, a well that would spring up to eternal life. Many Samaritans in her city came to believe on Jesus because of her testimony. And they confessed this. We know that this man really is the savior of the world. That's a big statement. John 4 closed informing us that because the royal official's son had been healed, his whole house believed in Jesus. Scripture records time and time again that Jesus healed the sick to prove he had the power to forgive sins. There was something more than the physical healing. Jesus had eternal life in mind, and he had eternal life in mind for this man who got up and walked after 38 years, and he had eternal life in mind for every single one of those people at that pool called the House of Mercy. We read that there was a great multitude, a big group, lots of people, many sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed. How many were physically healed? One. Jesus healed one. Was he unmerciful? No. No, Jesus is mercy personified. And he would, that all would know beyond the trials of this life, beyond the, the pains, the hurts in these mortal bodies of ours, there is a worse thing that can happen. And that is to miss out on eternal life. To receive eternal life is to pass over from death 
to life. And that is a true and lasting healing. That's a healing forever. Now, Jesus kindly warned the man because sometimes after an encounter with Jesus, sometimes when one is totally sincere and genuine, and yes, they are saying, I am going to stay on the right track. Sometimes after an encounter with Jesus, there comes a relapse, a relapse into old ways and into old habits. And I, I see in this account at the pool of Bethesda, the house of mercy, I see two images. I see two images of this place called the house of mercy. In one of those images, it's the pool. The pool is called the house of mercy. That's the house of mercy. Surrounding it, there are these pavilions covering a multitude, a great many infirmed and disabled, hurting people in need of receiving mercy. They're outside the house of mercy. They're outside of it. And many of them cannot make it to the house of mercy. Like the lame man, they need help. They need assistance. They need to be welcomed, not shunned. They need to be welcomed in to meet the one who is mercy personified. His name is Jesus. Jesus walked into their presence. Jesus went into those pavilions. He went into the presence of the multitude of the sick and the hurting. But that wasn't the place where you'd find the leaders of the faith back then. That wasn't where the, the heads of the religion were. And why is that? Because sickness was equated to sin. To be blind or lame or paralyzed meant you were judged a sinner. You were being punished because of your sin. And although scripture gives accounts where some have rebelled against God and they have felt physical judgment. They suffered physically. It's not always the case. I'd say it's not even generally the case. We see examples like Job. Job who suffered and he was accused of being sinful when it was God who was testing his faithfulness. It is wrong. It is wrong to cruelly judge someone as being a sinner because they're sick or they're hurting or they're in pain. Jesus knows every heart. It's Jesus and Jesus alone that searches and knows every single heart. And his desire its not to bring this pain and judgment. His desire is that all would come to repentance and receive eternal life. Now to that end, we who know Jesus Christ would do well to engage those outside of this house of mercy, to engage those who are hurting and in pain and they need mercy. 
Now, we might feel awkward. We might feel uncomfortable. We might feel out of place. But see the example of Jesus. He didn't consider it beneath him to be among those who his culture would say they're outcasts, they're sinners, the rejected, the marginalized, the hurting. This Bethesda, this house of mercy is surrounded by a multitude who are infirmed and they're in need. They're in need to meet the merciful one. And it's beyond physical infirmities. There are people that are chasing, they're chasing a a culture of self-indulgence. Some are self-medicating. They are going after the things that the world says, it will bring you comfort. It will help you. Be it alcohol, drugs, pornography, entertainment, gambling, accumulation of wealth and stuff. Chasing and chasing after things that will never, ever satisfy, never, ever fulfill. Many have discovered it's empty. It's lost. And they are lost in deep depression. They're confused. They're questioning. Questioning even their purpose for life. Some deny it, though. Some deny they're hurting. Some deny they're lost. They're limping and denying it. Whether they know it or not, whether they're resigned to this is my life and that's all it is and it's never going to change, whether they're resigned to it or not, they all need help. They all need assistance. And I want to ask you, will you be that help? You who know Jesus Christ, you who've been set free, will you be that help? Will you be the one to ask, do you want to be well? Will you be the one to introduce them to Jesus, the merciful one? Will you get beyond your uncomfortableness? Get beyond the awkwardness? Get beyond whatever stigma it might be to embrace somebody that others will not embrace and bring them into this, the house of mercy? Will you be the one? No, I see a second image here. I see a second image of this pool of Bethesda. And it's not just the pool that's called the house of mercy. I see the pool and those five surrounding colonnades, those five pavilions, all of it being called the house of mercy. Now what does that image bring to mind? What does that image hold? It holds that within the house of mercy... There are those who are hurting. There are those who are in pain and suffering. And although they've had an encounter with Jesus, yet there remains a need for healing. Jesus went through those pavilions. I don't know how many he encountered or talked to. We know he healed one. Many may have had an encounter with Jesus, yet they were still in pain yet they were still in need of a healing. They were in the house of mercy, in need. Is that you this morning? Are you here? Have you been here for months? 
even years and years, saying, I profess Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Yet there remains within a brokenness that's unhealed. Something or someone's hurt you. They've affected you deeply. You've suffered loss, perhaps. Your heart's broken. Maybe there's someone or something that you need to forgive, but you just can't bring yourself to that place. Or maybe you have a profound sense of shame. You've missed the mark. Once again, you've wronged someone else. But you just don't know what to do. You don't know how to make it right. Or worse, it's a hidden wrong. It's a secret sin. You can't even speak to anyone about it. And there remains a brokenness within Everyone else seems to be getting along great. They're living their lives so well. They're so put together. And you feel so all alone. Jesus healed the man who couldn't walk. There was no guarantee that guy wasn't going to break his leg again. And so it is spiritually. We come to Jesus. We repent of our old ways. But still life confronts us, doesn't it? And it brings us trials and temptations. And what do we do? I confess I've had such times. I have been hurt. I've been hurt by life, by people. I've had to forgive. I've done things for which I'm not proud. I've had to confess and seek forgiveness. When these times come, when they come for any of us, we have a choice. We all have a choice. We can keep the problem. We can carry it. We can bottle it up. We can concede to it. We can be resigned that we're going to carry this burden. We're going to shoulder this load. Or we can open ourselves up and we can hear the voice of Jesus. And he's kindly asking, do you want to be made well? And then we can receive his mercy. And we can do as he says, get up and walk. Walk again and walk with him. Yes, there's a multitude outside these walls who need help. They need to be introduced to the merciful one. They need to find the place of mercy. But how can we help them if we are carrying some kind of brokenness? How can we help them if we have some issue that was unresolved within ourselves? How can we offer them mercy if we haven't received mercy fully and completely ourselves? We've sung about it this morning. Thank you, Jesus. You've set me free. Has he set you free? My chains are gone. I've been set free. Is it true for you? Can you confess it today? Because if you can't, if there's anything at all, a burden you got to lay down, a person you need to forgive and You need help with that. You need help from the Lord. Something you need to confess. 
Be it privately just to God, but you got to do it. Be set free. Be well. Do you want to be well this morning? Do you want to be used by God? Do you want to be used to be merciful to those outside us that need the help, that need to be here at this house of mercy? Put yourself before the merciful one this morning and hear his voice. Get up. Get up. Take up your mat and walk. This morning we stand in the presence of the merciful one. We are in this Bethesda, this house of mercy, and it's his. Do you want to be made well? I'll tell you what, I know I do. I know I do. Life confronts. Life brings things. And we need to give them over to the merciful one. Now, if that's you this morning, come on down. Lay it down. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for every single person here in this house, every single person who's joined us online, God, who are laying it down, putting something before you, hearing your voice and desiring to get up and walk and be well. God, meet them today in a tangible way and touch their hearts. And may, may the fire of Almighty God and the living Holy Spirit burn within them, God. And may they leave here, leave their place being inspired to help others, to engage others, to show them the merciful one, Jesus Christ. May it be, God, may it be. Lord, bless everyone with that as they go. And we thank you and we thank you and we praise you in that powerful name of Jesus, the merciful one. Amen. Amen. Amen.